Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. All righty. You're on. Yeah. By the way, I loved I loved our co- I, I loved our teaching together last week. Mm, yeah, it was good to to be together. We we got a little derailed by time, <laughs> but that's all right. And we got a you know I don't know if you noticed or not, but we got a bump in analytics on Squarespace. Did you see that? I didn't check it. No, but no, I didn't check it. They sent it to me. Oh. <laughs> That's good. Somebody told me a long time ago, uh, it's not very helpful to Google yourself. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It either will feed your ego or destroy your ego. Or, uh, you know, it, I don't really know that there's another option in between. So did you make a mistake of Googling yourself? And what did it say? No, I have done that, but it's been years. Uh-huh. I had another one of those uh-huh. incidents yesterday where I saw somebody I haven't seen in months. And one of the things that came up in our conversation was something that I said to her in a spiritual direction session, maybe two years ago, three years ago. And I swear on a stack of Bibles as tall as my mother, I never said a word that she said. That's, well, (laughs) isn't there like, the truth is always somewhere in between? (laughs) And I said, uh, I said to her, did you find that helpful? And she said, good. And I thought, I didn't touch it. I didn't. Yeah. Well, was it something you wish you had said? Or or was it just completely other than? No, she said, I, I, I will always remember what you said to me, blah, blah, blah. And then she quoted it. And I thought, I didn't say that. I would never say anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> People hear what they want to hear. This is true. Yeah. (sighs) Hard to pin down the truth when that's happening. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So I've got a couple of things um, on the agenda to talk with you about. Yeah. Let's go for it. What's on your agenda? One is um, how uh, words create worlds and worlds create words. Mm-hmm. And I've learned two words since you and I left at a podcast. Mm-hmm. One of them I talked about Sunday that I got from Diana Butler Bath, mm-hmm. fundamentalism. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that on Sunday. And I thought, boy, that was such a genius move on her part to recognize mm-hmm. that we live in a culture where we have made guns an object of worship. Mm-hmm. They're idols. Yeah. They're icons of that instead of tools. Um, by the way, for anybody who is listening to this, you can go onto the St. Paul's website and go to the archives of sermons and listen to the sermon that Dr. Jim Bankston gave here last Sunday, which would have been the 26th, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that right? 27th. It was yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. It was outstanding. <laughs> it, it was just the right word at the right time 
for this particular community. I love Jim. Yeah. I, he just, anyway, he, he did a, a wonderful job on that. Yeah. Well, I need to go back and listen to it. It's been a long time since we've heard Jim Bankston preach. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah. He, he, he did a wonderful job. Is really what we needed at this time of turmoil. And the other word that I've learned, uh, I, I got from Nadia Bose Weber, which is the word frage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a combination of fear and rage. And that was her response to the Supreme Court's decision about abortion. Yes. Yeah. Now that you say that, when you first said it, I thought, what does that mean? But I, I read her whole post about it the other day um, about Frage. And she had this time of prayer, like rage praying. And she kind of said, for those who need to just come and sit in a, a prayer of anger and mourning and grief and rage, you know, meet me in this space at 6 p.m. or whatever. Um, and I thought, how freeing. We do need prayers of, of rage sometime, you know, that don't involve guns, that don't involve um, misappropriations of rage, but that involve authentic expressions of it. So that we can get at that deeper, deeper, deeper feeling of grief, I think. So you and I have not planned this, and I don't know whether you want to do this or not, yeah. but you know, you're a six on the Enneagram, I'm a seven. And my tendency is to drift into my six wing pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I say because of the variety of things that are going on, the Supreme Court, the January 6th, the shootings and all that, that we're in this very dark period. Uh, are you in a place where as a female, you're willing to talk about the Supreme Court decision? Ooh, um, yeah, I can talk about it for sure. Um, and on the notion of the Enneagram, um, as Rilke says, I'll, I'll take your hand in that space of sixness. <laughs> um, and I drift into my seven. Some, you know, I have a strong seven wing and sometimes wonder if that isn't my true nature, but that I have been built up by a certain amount of fear. Um, you know, I, I've noticed two habits of my mind in this, in the wake of the final decision. I, I'm not surprised by it. I think there was a moment when we were recording this podcast and you said, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe and I stopped you and said, when? Like mm. my sickness is good at preparing for the worst, right? Um, and that's helpful sometimes and not helpful other times. And so here's one habit of my mind that I've noticed is, oh, I'm 46. I'm not in the sort of baby making stage. Um, I, I'm, I'm not there. It doesn't affect me, right? That's a, that, so what, what I notice about that behavior is that when um, broad level um, things happen, like the removal of a certain, of a freedom of choice, we tend to go, atomized we tend to get isolated and say well it doesn't affect me right um, this has nothing to do with me and we don't necessarily respond react or um or get involved until it affects us personally does, does that make sense so i've noticed that habit this can be a strong one um and as soon as i have that thought well thank god i'm not in the you know stage where i'm where I, the truth is I could still become pregnant. I could, I could 
get raped, heaven forbid, I, I could become accidentally pregnant. I don't want to have another baby. You know, I'm 46. That's not in my plan. <laughs> I don't know what I would do in that case, but I think my options are very, very, very limited. And I think that that just that alone, um, to know that our, my, our options are limited and becoming more and more and more limited by the day um, is terrifying. So I've started to think about also the freedoms that we've maybe taken for granted. There are many countries where abortion is outlawed. And, and let me like stop for a second. I, I also don't think that Roe versus Wade was ever just about abortion. It was a it was it was mishandled in some ways. And even Ruth Bader Ginsburg says that that case was mishandled, where it gave the rights to the providers more than it gave the rights to the women. And so she said she wanted to press on. The, the courts to really uphold the rights of women, to really say that, no, it's that women need the right to choose to have bodily autonomy. And that's the law that we need. We need a law that actually supports bodily autonomy because she thought there were too many holes in Roe versus Wade and that this day would come, was her kind of prophetic move, move right? And she was right. <laughs> um, she thought Roe versus Wade was too easy, easy to overturn because of the holes. And so I think really what it is, it's this feeling that like in our culture, I as a woman can't be trusted to make decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's a terrible feeling. And, and yeah, there, as I said, there are many, many countries where abortion and, and a woman's right to make decisions for herself are not legal. And we, as, as a country, just slid into to that space in, in a real and concrete way. So it, it feels um, really scary. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm a mother of sons. Um, and while my sons may never have to seek um, care that enables them to have an abortion, they could be in relationships where they're faced with a decision, you know? Um, so, um, you know, that what I thought about this is that as is true in so many, many, many cases, what the change in this law does, and we could talk about re repealing a constitutional right for the first time in 50 years, but what this law does is puts an unfair, unequal burden on the poor and the dispossessed in our culture. Absolutely. Um, when I was in training in the hospital, before Owen Wade got passed into law, which was in the 70s? God, that's or in, it was in the 80s. I think it was in the 70s. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I could look it up some more. Uh, I remember I was being, I was at a professional association banquet the day, the evening of the day that it passed and there was this great celebration of the time and a lot of joking and all that sort of thing. It was a happy time for people who, who thought that, but it, what, the point I was going to make is that um, we have this wonderful medical center in Houston in the 70s, 60s and 70s when I was in training. It was not nearly what it is today, but it was still 
getting in a position of being renowned. Uh, I visited countless women in the hospital who had abortions, but they didn't call them that in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s. They called them DNCs mm-hmm. and dilation and curdlization. And if you had the money to get it, you know, and you, you could do that. And there was no shame about it. There was no any other thing. It was just something that was done. If you were a woman of color or a woman who didn't have connection and money, you were out of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a deeply personal story about that, not about me, but in my own family about access, right? And I, I won't go into it here, but I think, you know, I know many women in my life who have had to seek DNCs out of medical necessity, mm-hmm. you know, who, who had, who, who had a non-viable pregnancy or who had the one man I'm thinking of immediately, it was a non-viable pregnancy and late in a late stage of pregnancy had to seek a DNC. So we're saying that the woman's life is worth risking in order to get a baby born regardless of there, there there was a methodist pastor i think in alabama you can google this and find it who gave a sermon mm-hmm. about right after the supreme court decision about how those who are really anti-abortion are all in favor of protecting the rights of the unborn mm-hmm. until they're born until they're born yeah and what happens when that baby is black and poor who, who's there for that baby then you know, yeah, what systems that, you know, I think that this, there's not this interest in talking about these holistic um, services. And I, this is where I, I absolutely agree with Shane Claiborne's sentiments is that pro-life is pro-whole life. You got to put the systems in place. You got to put the resources in prenatally, postnatally, early childhood. We don't even have universal free early childhood education, you know, <laughs> So, so how can we say that we're pro-life when we, we forget about it as soon as the baby is born? Um, right. So I'm looking for authenticity there and I'm not finding authenticity. I'm also not finding consistency between the same people who claim to be pro-life, but who are pro-guns, you know, or pro-death penalty. <laughs> yeah, pro-capital punishment. Yeah. 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 They we're not, we we don't have a consistent ethic of life in this culture yeah at all and so and, and i think that where i i really don't want to come across as saying well i i don't value life i absolutely fundamentally value life and love and the right to a secure um secure upbringing but i i think where i'd love to walk it way back is that something as intimate and as personal as a woman's right to choose what happens to her body should never be a political decision made by mostly men. It never belonged in politics. It belonged in spiritual spaces in psychological spaces and in deeply personal spaces. It did not belong in the courts. The only reason that it ever belonged in the courts is to make services available, but not in the right to make a decision ever. And this is where I feel heartbroken, that I feel like, are we as women so lowly 
and the psyche of this country that we cannot be trusted to make a decision for our own bodies. Mm -hmm. It looks like it. It looks like that we are walking some things back to the 1950s. Yeah. And um, Ann Johnson, our state representative, mm -hmm was at the Pride Picnic here at St. Paul's on Sunday. She did a wonderful job of speaking her concerns. And she said that it's very important for us to keep talking to each other and talking publicly about our concerns. And she said, I don't mean, this is not a quote, I wish that whole event had been captured on video or audio. She said, I don't mean to be an alarmist or scare people, but um, the people who are responsible for the decision that led to the overturning of Roe versus Wade are coming after other things. Yeah. Just get prepared for it. They are it coming after other things. And the next on the agenda might be um, contraception and then same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. I think I recall a conversation that you and I had where I said, I think abortion is just the linchpin because it invokes a lot of um, passion, drama, emotion. It's, it's a dramatic topic and, um, and, and, and it's been fueled. It, it's, it's had fire after fire poured on it for years and years and years and years. But I think that's just a, a way in, an inroad into attacking same-sex marriage, attacking already transgender rights. And, you know, there's even been buzz about attacking uh, interracial marriage, you know, and how in the heck, how, how in the heck are these things going to be, you know, I mean, I just, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean to exist in kind of a, a, a free society and what's, what are definitions of freedom? And, um, there's two ways, fundamental ways that freedom is defined. One is freedom from, and one is freedom to. And freedom from is sort of freedom from tyranny, from oppressive government systems, from oppressive systems in general. Um, so freedom from enslavement, really, or tyranny of any kind. And freedom to is one's right to choose for him or herself or themselves um, the avenues they want to take to achieve uh, that pursuit of happiness. <laughs> and um, that freedom too is made exponentially harder when we don't have freedom from. You know, my, the rights to, to self-govern um, become much more difficult when there isn't freedom at the, at, the, at the level of government and systems. So I've been trying to think through like, what does it mean to have freedom with, right? Where I can uphold your rights to autonomy and you can uphold my rights to autonomy and not infringe on each other's safety and well-being and is that even possible in the culture that we currently live in um i don't know because our ideas about freedom in in this country are um either about control which is the opposite of freedom um or they're so about one's individual rights versus the sort of communal or collective rights. And so we walk into these spaces thinking that our, our personal rights matter more than the safety and well-being of the community. So uh, there's kind of a, 
one of the rules in psychology is that the thing is never about the thing it's about. You know, people very frequently present issues and there's really an underlying thing. The underlying thing here about the abortion rights and same-sex marriage and other things seems to be about um, a control, an authoritarian kind of almost dictatorial control of somebody who says, I know what's best for you. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. It's patronizing. I know what's best for you. <laughs> you can't be trusted to make that decision on your own, you know? And I think that's that's such a dangerous space to be sliding into. You know, in my reading about Dark Night of the Soul, both um, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila either say explicitly or they imply it in page after page that the the um, the yearning that is underneath the difficulty that we are experiencing right now is for a better world. And that we're just simply going through kind of a reactionary stage to that where people are uh, frightened mm -hmm. uh, about what's coming next and, you know, the kind of new world that we could be in. Um, we're scared of each other in this culture. That's yeah. one of the reasons that guns are proliferating, gun sales are proliferating, shootings are going up, is that we're not taking time to get to know our neighbors and do what's required to live in harmony with each other. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'd take like just basic acceptance over harmony at this moment, <laughs> you know, just some basic levels of decency. Um, and I, I, I think you're right. We are fearful of one another. And when I kind of sit back, and I think, well, you know, that, that fear is alive in me too. You know, that the, the fear is alive in me too. And it's more of a kind of like um, reactive fear in the sense that, how do I explain this? That something's happening to me. Um, and I don't even mean, mean me directly, but I'm talking kind of generally me as a woman. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, is that the correct way to say it? That I feel kind of like something's being done to and around me. And my reaction is, oh my God, what's next? You know, um, what's coming next? Right. Um, my inclination is not to go get a gun, but it, but it is, but I do have fear about mm -hmm. what's coming next. I told you before we started recording this that I have been watching on Netflix a series about Warren Jeffs. Mm -hmm. Warren Jeffs is the man who in a polygamous Mormon cult, it's a cult, um, assumed leadership of this cult where um, he, I think he had 27 wives. Mm -hmm. um, some He's of them, in prison. And some of them were like 12 and 13. Am I correct? That's, yeah. So, yeah. That's why he's in prison. Yeah. Is that he was trafficking in underage girls mm -hmm. and preparing these girls um, to be in marriages all over the, wherever in the United 
states these cults were operating, mm. these Mormon cults were operating. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when Warren Justice run out of, well, he fled from the place where they lived in Arizona, Utah, mm -hmm. Arizona, somewhere on the Utah, Arizona border. He fled to Texas. Mm -hmm. He came to, El, to a place outside of El Dorado, Texas and built uh, a huge, huge encampment for um, or compound for these people. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have been watching it. It's amazing footage that they got over a long period of time of these people uh, who were in this cult. Women, Holly, gave away their children at six, seven, eight years old to Warren Jeffs to be taken to this place in Texas to be groomed for future marriages. Mothers gave away their children because they believed that if they didn't, they wouldn't go to heaven. And so that's just the power mm -hmm. of the cult mentality, right? Mm -hmm. About three days ago on HBO, we saw a, a program called Four Hours in the Capitol. Mm, you told me about that. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I saw the same dynamic. Yes. The same dynamic of people saying, why are you doing this? The, the documentary filmmakers were saying, why are you doing this? And the answer was, he told us to. Mm -hmm. And it was whatever. Right. And so that kind of mentality seems to me to be somewhat growing mm -hmm. in the, not just the United States, but in the world. Mm -hmm. No, agreed. And, you know, yesterday, uh, several headlines popped up on my uh, news feed that were um, indicating new evidence coming forth about uh, Trump's behavior on January 6th. And did you see this whole testimony about him? trying to grab the wheel from the secret service who had to then take his arm aggressively and say, we are not going to the Capitol. Right. That, that the, um, you know, just that that need for, um, I think in the absence of healthy individuation, of healthy senses of self, um, we become really codependent. Like that, those, there's such a like, dance there you know I think we're naturally relational we're naturally connective we are not meant to be in isolation I, I really don't think that but we also don't have healthy systems that support our becoming truly free individuals and so individuals then seek these strong personalities to just tell them what to do you know, and, and I think the root is at like the, 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 the sense of a strong community or of healthy communities is completely eroded in this country. We've become so kind of like atomized and individualized that we don't have a sense of what healthy community looks like. And so we don't live in communities that like love us into being, that love us into becoming our true selves. And so then we go and we seek these other unhealthy expressions of community that feed some need. It's still a need for belonging. You know, it's still a need for connection that's being 
fulfilled, but it is in such a dark way. And, and that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, that our need for belonging can sometimes outweigh our moral conscience or our ability to do what is good. Well, this is um, this is Holly and Bill trying to thump around on what's going on and see where's the light in the darkness, mm-hmm. right? I mean, well, maybe it's maybe we're still grappling in the dark. You know, maybe the light's well, I, not there yet. <laughs> I, I think it's a dark time. Yeah, and um, we're. You know, one of the one of the things that I wondered after watching a bit of the testimony from yesterday from this woman who I don't know how much you know about her. I don't know a whole lot, but what I have been able to find out is that the woman who testified yesterday is a Trump loyalist. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a high level person, but in the in that administration, but she's also um, a loyal American citizen, mm-hmm. and um, she did. She came forward, as I understand it, out of a duty to tell tell the truth about what was going on. I watched part of that, and I wonder to what percentage of the population what she said will make any substantial difference. Right. Um, I was alive during the time very mind of what was going on during the Watergate hearings. Mm-hmm. Mm. And during the Watergate hearings, it apparently made no difference. And then, wow, it made a huge difference. So I'm hoping that this same thing can happen in this hearing, um, just that the truth will come out and have consequences. It will eventually. I think um, you once said to me that the truth always bubbles up, that it's inevitable. It, it, who knows when or how or what, but that it always bubbles up. I think we call that karma. Karma's a bitch. Um, <laughs> but the, so I think you're talking about Cassidy Hutchinson. Is that her testimony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what I found interesting when I watched it was her body language. And um, I mean, I wonder what it would be like to watch it without hearing anything and just watch her body language. Um, She made movements like, you know, she said, and then he reached for, but in saying he reached for, she went like this, you know, and in saying, um, and in saying, and then the secret service reached for she went like this it grabbed her arm and so I, I'm not being clear because you're looking at me when when she said those words she went for her own neck and, and and aggressively grabbed her own arm her body language was so telling and even though her words were kind of and at one point she even kind of half smiled when she got to like a bit of an awkward telling of how the president was behaving um she kind of laughed out of nervousness I think and her, her body language was so much more assertive and scary than her words. And so just in watching her body, I just went, wow, there's a lot there. Yeah. You know? Well, we will continue to see. Mm-hmm. 
new words, words create words, and we got new words. We got new so. words, yeah. Frage. <laughs> I'm going to be fraging for yeah, There's a, a lot, bit. you know, there's a lot of turmoil publicly about the Roe versus Wade thing, and um, people who are in favor of women's rights and justice are trying to scramble to see if there's some way that they can redress the inequality of this decision and it's clearly unjust it's it's against what the american people want yeah and um, who's pulling the strings on this yeah and many people say it's not going to decrease um, the number or the seeking out of um, one's right to bodily autonomy it's not going to increase the number of women who seek it out it's going to increase the safety de decrease the safety right so, yeah. Well, um, you know, darkness. I do believe it is creative. I do believe it can teach us something, but we first have to kind of sit with it, get to know it, <laughs> understand what it's doing. Well, I would stress too that what um, we said on Sunday in ordinary life was that a real strong aspect of spiritual practice is action and it's time to act in mm -hmm. terms of doing you know telling your story speaking the truth being out there uh to take a stand yeah um not to shrug our shoulders and say it doesn't matter that's exactly right matter. and to, to be there and to, yeah. to proclaim yeah um I, I still, you know, I said Sunday in class that I've, I've been thinking and thinking about when I personally started thinking about in terms of Dark Night of the Soul, and I've not come up with an odal point to be able to say, well, it was when this happened or this happened. It just seems that there has been this parade of incidents, starting with George Floyd, maybe, somewhere around that maybe covid mm. related but it just there's been the string of one it apparently one thing after another that has been so disheartening um and discouraging the mass shootings yeah uh, i will i won't continue this except to say one thing as, as you heard me say i don't watch commercial television yeah the other night when one of these episodes of the Warren Jeff thing was over, uh, it was just right at 10 o'clock. And I thought to myself, I never watch local news. Maybe I haven't watched a local news show in years, mm. six years, mm. probably. So I decided Channel 13 here in Houston gets apparently the highest rating of any local news show. So at 10 o'clock, I turned it over yeah lead story lead story a road rage death then two other shootings and a home invasion mm. i thought wow well, that's pretty bleak so the next time i did an experiment i watched it again mm. copycat same stories different i mean different different events but exactly the same format road raid killing two other shootings and some other tragedy involving guns or robbery or something. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. I did it again. I think three times is enough to get it that that's what we're exposed to. You're batting a thousand. Yeah, it's it's agreed. I mean, it's. Okay, for any of those of you who are still listening to this podcast, (laughs) I personally make a vow that next week when we do a podcast, I will come armed with at least 15 new jokes and we'll just tell jokes. Okay. Is that a challenge? Holly is is making a face at me like you wouldn't believe. Well, I was thinking... I was thinking, well, that means I have to come up with some 15 jokes also, and they might all be fart jokes. <laughs> you just have to roll your eyes and, you know, yeah. do, do what Sherry says. Okay. Sherry said, Bill, give it a break. <laughs> well, we'll all right, I got to go. Okay, have a good Wednesday. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.